This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time. I mean, we don't care what you guys say. We don't listen to you guys outside of this locker room. Uh, we're just focused on ourselves and uh, this group in here. Mitch Marner, a frustrated-sounding Mitch Marner, ahead of tonight's big game four in Florida. Don't listen to what the media says. Listen to what you guys say. Just focused on what's going on in the locker room. He is one of. A few Maple Leafs on the hot seat tonight as they look to avoid elimination in round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Not only avoid elimination, but avoid the brooms coming out against the Florida Panthers. And what would only open a can of chaos in Toronto should he, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, or William Nylander not produce the level uh, that Leafs fans are expecting. We'll see what happens tonight. Can they avoid elimination? Can they avoid the sweep? That's uh, one of two games on the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, scheduled tonight. We'll talk about that one. We'll also talk about the Golden Knights and the Oilers coming up a little bit later. Can Vegas take a 3-1 series lead back to Nevada and put the Oilers on the brink of elimination? into all of that as the show goes on. The show is Sportsnet Today. It's live here from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. I'm Logan Gordon alongside my outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor this afternoon. And yes, the story in the hockey world shifting back to the Toronto Maple Leafs and their uphill battle against the Florida Panthers that starts tonight. Can Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have the impact that they need to have if the Leafs want to make any sort of series out of this after losing the first three against the Florida Panthers? We will check in with uh, Matt Marchese, Sportsnet 590 fan in Toronto, the co-host and producer of the Jeff Merrick Show. To chat, uh, We'll chat a little bit of Leafs and Panthers with, uh, with Matty, but also... Just some general NHL playoff storylines. Heard a lot last night that the second round of the playoffs hasn't been nearly as entertaining as round one. We'll see how Maddie feels about that. We'll dive heavy on the Leafs and Panther series uh, later this hour. Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, uh, host of Leafs Nation, Leafs pregame show there. And uh, talk a bit about what the offseason might look like for this group if tonight does, in fact, end their season. What happens with Kyle Dubas? Is there any chance Sheldon Keefe can come back as this team's head coach? What does it mean for Brendan Shanahan, who's been overseeing this process for eight years now in Toronto and has just the one playoff round victory to show for it as well? We'll uh, also hear from Eric Francis, Sportsnet uh, own here in Calgary. Uh, The latest around the Calgary Flames, their general manager search continues. Elliot Friedman, Frank Cervelli continue to throw out some names as the process continues. 
We'll uh, hear from Eric, who joined uh, Rustic and Rose on the big show a little bit earlier on today and uh, hear what he has to say about the Flames uh, GM search as it enters the the few couple weeks in now. We're uh, officially getting there, and we heard Don Maloney, the president of Hockey Ops for the Calgary Flames, say after the draft lottery this week, hey, we're, we're hopeful to have a GM in place. By the time we get together with our scouting meetings in a couple of weeks and get them in place before the NHL draft, so that would uh, imply that a decision is coming on the horizon for the Calgary Flames, but we will uh, wait and see uh, when any of that happens. So we'll hear from Eric a little bit later on, coming up in hour two. But now I'm uh, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline in just a few moments here. Uh, chat with our friend from Sportsnet 590. You know him as the producer and the co-host of uh, the Jeff Merrick Show. Which runs every single day here on Sportsnet 960, the fan from 10 till noon. Uh, it's our pal Matt Marchese joining us this afternoon. Matty, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you? I'm. Uh, I don't know how I am, Logo. That's how <laughs> I feel today. I don't. I have no idea what I'm feeling. I have no what. No idea what to expect. Um, this is one of the more curious days that I've ever felt uh, doing the job that I do and being a fan of the team that I'm a fan of. Yeah, it's it's certainly a weird one, and I, I said as we came in that the focus shifts back to Toronto, and I, I know when it's a three nothing series lead for Florida, everyone starts, you know, looking ahead to the off season and looking ahead to the the post mortem and, and sort of growing through everything. But I, I really did want to focus on tonight, Maddie, and, and just sort of say, it, from a Leafs fan perspective, from a Leafs observer perspective. Even if Toronto loses tonight, what do you need to see from this team? What do you hope to see from this team uh, in one final, perhaps, go at it against Florida? The compete level has to be there. I mean, for a team that they really, like, much like, and to a lesser extent, but much like the Oilers who, you know, have an incredible power play, I do think the Leafs have a really good power play. We haven't quite seen it to this point in the series. I mean, they've been... They, they really kind of moved the puck around well um, and, and really had a lot of chances on the power plays, especially early in games. But they got to get there. And by doing that, you know, Florida is a team that is physical, but will take penalties if you push back. And I think that's what needs to happen. They need to use their speed. Like, there's got the pushback. That's what it's got to be. There's got to be pushback. The Stars have to play like Stars. And they can't play like stars for five or six minute stretches because they're down by a goal or two or 10 minute stretches because they're down by a goal or two. Like it's got to be an all out effort right from the beginning because, and I don't want to be too cliche about this, but there literally may be no tomorrow for this group because if they lose tonight, regardless of what happens, even if they give a good effort and they lose, there's going to be some significant changes this off season. So, you know, like Elliot Friedman said, I think he said it last night, if this team, if this core believe, actually believes in itself and wants to stay together, they have to do everything that they possibly can to win this game tonight. What did you make of Mitch Marner's comments yesterday about, you know, hey, we're not listening to you guys in the media, we're all focused. It seemed like a frustrated Mitch Marner, but I don't know at this point in the series and given what we maybe haven't seen from him and others, Maddie, I don't know if that was really what – Leafs fans were hoping to hear from him at this point. It, it kind of seemed like very childish. Um, that's what I kind of took from it. And I tweeted it today. If Mitch Marner doesn't want to hear what the media has to say about him and his team, better it's put up or shut up time. Because if they don't win tonight and he has a poor performance, guess what? 
the knives are going to be out tonight. And I, I just think to kind of deflect to the media in all of this just feels really kind of, I don't want to say weak, but it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the right time for this with all that's gone on, especially with this group and, and how they've played and how they've been perceived and whatever goodwill they had after that first round victory over Tampa, at the end of the day, it's all gone. If you lose in five or, or four to the Florida Panthers, like the only way to gain that goodwill back, and it's kind of crazy to say this, but the only way that they can do it is by winning this series. And that is next to impossible, as we've seen over the course of history. Now, has it happened before? Absolutely. But this, this iteration of this Leaf team with this core has not given us any reason to believe that they can come back in this series. So, I, like, like I said, it's put up or shut up time for this group. You want to stay together? Better figure it out. Uh, before we get on to a couple other series uh, here with the NHL, we'll talk more playoffs with you in general, Manny. But uh, Sheldon Keefe kind of feels like this is the last straw for him. Is there any way if the Leafs don't come back and win this series that he's the coach for this team next year? I can't see it because I, I don't think that the GM is back. And regardless of Sheldon Keefe's credentials, because I do believe that Sheldon Keefe is a really good coach, he's won at every level that he's coached at he won at the tier two level he won in the ohl he won in the ahl so i think he's a really good coach i think the resume kind of stands out and speaks for itself but he's also kyle dubas's guy and i don't think the gm is going to be around so my only thing is, is if if this is your last hurrah with this group i'm curious to see how he wants to go out like like playing justin hall 18 minutes is not the answer for me as something that's going to get you over that hump. Like, you need to play Morgan Riley tonight, unless it's a blowout and you're winning, you need to play him 30-plus minutes. You need to play Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. The guys that are going to get you there, those guys got to play 24, 25, 26 minutes. Like, you you cannot leave any stone unturned, and that's how Sheldon Keith has to coach tonight. I know if they win, there's a game on Friday, but you know what? They, the Leafs spend all this money on all these coaches and all these trainers and doctors and sports science guys and tra- everything. They'll find a way to recover before Friday, but he's got a coach like it's his last game, and they've got to play like it's their last game as well. So I'd be curious to see how Sheldon Keith deploys his lines. He really likes the lineup that he set, putting Matthews and Marner with Yarncroke and then moving Bunting down to the third line with Achari and O'Reilly, which I actually like the move. Um, Alex Kerfoot, I mean, whatever. No Matthew Nyes in the lineup really kind of does handcuff them a little bit, but this is the bed that, that they've made, and they need to sleep in it. Like, you can't, you can't be relying on a college player to be a top six forward. And it turned out that he was, but that may end up being the difference in what the Leafs could and couldn't acquire Maybe they should have tried to put Matt Murray on LTIR and tried to get Tyler Bertuzzi from Detroit instead of Boston. Maybe that ends up being the difference for this group because they're missing something right now, and I don't know if they're going to be able to get it in time. Uh, Away from the Leafs and the Panthers tonight, uh, Oilers and Golden Knights. Been a back-and-forth series. Edmonton obviously dominated on the power play in the second game in Vegas. Uh, the Golden Knights walk into Edmonton in Game Three, and 
prove to everybody, Matty, if they stay out of the penalty box, uh, the five-on-five game is still theirs. Is that sort of the same narrative that you expect this series to follow, is that until Edmonton proves they can get it done at five-on-five, it's going to be hard to beat this Vegas team? As As much as I want to say yes, I look at the Oilers and I say, there's got to be something else here, especially up front where they've really struggled to score five on five. You look at, at all the talent that they, they have and the guys who put up big numbers in the regular season, I want to see those guys. And I'm not talking about McDavid and Dreisaitl because they've been the furthest from the problem. I look at guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman and Evander Kane. Like those guys need to be the ones that step up and make a difference in this series because – you can't ask much more of Dreisaitl and McDavid at this point. I mean, you could ask them to be superhuman, which it feels like in a lot of parts of this, of this playoff they have been, especially Dreisaitl. But I need guys like Hyman and Kane and Nugent Hopkins to start scoring at even strength. Like, that's got to be the difference in the series. And if those guys don't show up, as much as I hate to say it, I don't think that this is going to be a long series if those guys don't start to show up at even strength. The Oilers haven't gotten consistent enough goaltending to just solely rely on the power play, and that's really hurt them. So I think it's I think it's a combination of, of a few things. But having those guys that you know, Vander Kane was hurt during the season, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins had over a hundred points. Zach Hyman had a career year this season. So there's no excuses now. These guys gotta start playing and they gotta start putting up numbers and it better be quick because if the Oilers go down 3-1, it's going to be a rough ride in Vegas. I know Vegas is a, is a very wonderful place, but it won't be if you're trying to stay alive in a series against that Golden Knights team who is playing really well. And you look, you know, you talk about impact players making a difference. Like Jack Eichel looks like he is fully recovered from that neck surgery and really, really looks like the player that we thought he could be with Vegas. Uh, there's been a bit of a, a conversation around round two, Maddie, that it's been boring series compared to what we saw in round one. And I guess that probably comes from a lot of the last series that we saw last night between Dallas and Seattle and then New Jersey and Carolina in the sense that it's been a lot more blowouts than I think people would have expected heading into round two. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about it today. The most competitive series when you really break it down, has been the one that's 3-0 for Florida. Those games, every game has been close. You've had you've had the one game go into overtime. Another game was a one-goal game. The other game was a two-goal game. Every other series seemingly has been kind of lopsided in the wins. Like, New Jersey in their losses has been horrible. In their win, they still allowed three shorthanded goals, which is bizarre that they won despite giving up three shorthanded goals. But also, you look at the blowouts in the Vegas and Edmonton series. You look at the, the, the lopsided nature of last night's game between the Stars and the Kraken, which saw Dallas be up 5-1 after two periods. And I just I, I, I find that the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is always the best round. But usually the second round is, is decent I'm surprised at how the second round has gone. I mean, you expect it to be closer in round three, but it could just be that, well, I don't know what it is, to be honest with you, Logo. Like, 
there is almost no explanation for a lot of things that have happened in these playoffs. Look at how much success road teams have had in these playoffs. Look at how much success lower-seeded teams have had in these playoffs. It's just been a really bizarre one for me. And, you know, certain series didn't go the way we thought. Look back at, you know, the Rangers and Devils. The Rangers steal the first two on the road, and you're going, oh, my God, the Devils are going to get swept here. They come back, they win the series. New Jersey loses the first two in their series, and you're going, oh, it's going to be over. Then they win, and you go, okay, hold on a second. They're not going away. And then they get their doors blown off last night in really what was a a great 10- to 12-minute stretch for the Hurricanes, which sealed things up. So it's been one of the more bizarre playoffs that I can remember. Yeah, it certainly has. I wonder how much of that uh, just comes from some of these new teams being in there, Matty. You know, I look at, you know, New Jersey, who's kind of here for the first time. Carolina has been there before, but they're kind of missing some guys, so they're doing it in different ways. It is just kind of one of the ones I was thinking about asking about. I was curious what you would say because I'm with you. I, I really don't have any explanation for it, and maybe it's just because we haven't seen one of these teams, specifically in this group of eight, that we have left in the second round be at a Stanley Cup level in recent years? Yeah, you can make the argument that, well, I mean, Carolina, again, Carolina was there, but I never thought, like even last year, I didn't think Carolina had enough. And maybe now with the door being open in the East, because there's no Boston, there's no Tampa, you know, two teams that have a lot of expectations. Hey, the Leafs can be out after tonight. It looks like there's a real opportunity here for the Hurricanes who are, playing fantastic hockey at the moment. And really, it looks good on Rod Brindamore because, man, he's, got, he's one of the best coaches in the NHL. But talking about playing at a Stanley Cup level most recently, like, I mean, maybe you could – maybe the Oilers are the only – team. like, Vegas was there, but Vegas didn't make the playoffs last year, and you can make the argument that a lot of that was injury-related. But they've had a lot of injuries at important positions this year, too. And specifically, like, they didn't have Mark Stone for a while. They, they're down to Aiden Hill, who's their third-string goaltender. Behind, you know, Robin Lehner was expected to be the starter. Obviously, he got hurt. And then Logan Thompson was going to be the starter, and he got hurt. And, and then Brassois gets hurt. And then you can make the argument that between Brassois and Hill, probably 3A, 3B. But Vegas is doing it. And Carolina's doing it despite injuries. You can talk about what it means to have a really great coach in the NHL. Like, Bruce Cassidy is a really great coach. And, and Rod Brindamore is a really great coach. And it's no slight against the other guys, but it's important to have coaches who can adjust on the fly. And, and, and it's been a criticism that I've had of a lot of coaches. And it can be in other sports, too, much like the NFL. Like, you have to coach the group that you have and not the group that you want. And I think that's where coaches really differentiate themselves to be just good and then be great. Like, Rod Brindamore, for me, and it's partially because of the way that the team is built and that they have a lot of guys who are very much the same. I think Rod Brindamore, the way that he implements his system, what he demands of his players, they like playing for him. He is able to win despite missing Karabinen and and Pacioretty and Svechnikov. Like, when Pacioretty went down, everybody went, oh, it's okay, they have the trade deadline. Like, what are they going to do? Well, they didn't do much. And then they went out after the deadline and they lost Andre Svechnikov, and you're going, oh, boy, what are they going to do now? Well, they're winning. 
And that, to me, is a testament of good defensive structure because I don't think their goaltending is all that great. But good defensive structure, their top 6D is the best top 6D remaining in the league right now. And, and you can make the argument just in general it's the best top 6D in the league. And then it comes down to Rod Brindamore and the way that he coaches. And dare I say that, for me, the Carolina Hurricanes, the way they're playing right now, are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, the other big story away from the NHL playoffs, Matty, was obviously the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and the uh, draft lottery the other night. What was your reaction when uh, the card came out that had Chicago picking number one overall? I'll tell you this. If anybody thought there was a conspiracy, even, and I know people are saying that there is, <laughs> do you really think that if there was a conspiracy that it would have been the Chicago Blackhawks who were a black eye on the NHL for many months after the Kyle Beach scandal and not, oh, I don't know, the Arizona Coyotes who are trying to build a new arena? Like, come on. So people that are going on about the conspiracy theory, like if you had a conspiracy theory, it would be the Blackhawks won because there's no Jonathan Taze, there's no Patrick Kane, and the Chicago Blackhawks make a lot of money for the NHL when they're winning. That should be your conspiracy theory. But I digress. I was actually kind of sick for Ducks fans. Because I, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for the Anaheim Ducks because I, like many, many people around my age, grew up with the Mighty Ducks movies and the team that ended up following. I said it on the show yesterday. It was the first, when I, the first year I played organized hockey, I played house league, and the jerseys that we got were the Anaheim Ducks. I wanted Dean Portman's number. That was going to be my thing. Turns out I was never a tough guy in my career, but I digress. But I was sick for Ducks fans because they miss out on Sidney Crosby, and now they miss out on Connor Bedard. Like, to be so close yet so far for two of what could end up being the greatest players that have ever played this game, and I know I'm putting a lot of expectations on Connor Bedard, but it certainly looks at, at that that's what's going to happen. And so to miss out on those two guys in, and, and be just, I felt ill for them. And I have a couple of friends who are Ducks fans, and I just, I don't even know what to say to try and console them. But it was a really rough feeling because I can't imagine what that is like. Like, think about, think about where the Ducks might be with Sidney Crosby in their organization. Think about what Wayne Gretzky meant to hockey in California when he arrived there. Think about what Sidney Crosby in the social media age and the internet age would mean for hockey in California. Think about what Connor Bedard would mean to that same market. And I think from a, a perspective of Connor Bedard producing right away, Columbus and Anaheim would have been much more intriguing options, even Arizona to that matter, than the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, we need to temper expectations on Connor Bedard in year one and year two because the Blackhawks are bad. And I don't see them going out and spending a ton of money this year because it's the free agent class the following year that has the most intrigue for me. I just don't I, – I, I, I kind of feel bad for Connor Bedard in year one and year two because there's not much of a supporting cast there, and I don't think there's going to be, especially in year one. 
Well, the only good news I have for your friends who are, are Ducks fans is you could at least send them a, an Adam Fantilli highlight reel pack that, that might help them out a little bit. Uh, not that Bobby Ryan was bad, but I think Fantilli can be better. I know it's not it's not Connor Bedard, it's not Sidney Crosby, and I totally understand uh, you know why we're talking about that that way. But I think as far as uh, we had somebody on this week, Scott Wheeler on The Athletic the other day, and he said Fantilli's probably better than most consolation prizes most years, so I guess if you're a Ducks fan, you can hold your hat to that. Well, I'm going to wax poetic a little bit about Adam Fantilli because uh, he grew up in the same town that I grew up in, and it's not very big. So to have two superstars like Adam Fantilli and myself, oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but that, but he, like, we had we had Jason Bukula on yesterday on the Merrick Show, and he said Adam Fantilli would be the first overall pick in a lot of drafts. just happens to be that he's in the same draft as Connor Bedard. And he's going to be a really good player. Like I know some people who don't follow junior hockey and don't follow college hockey will look at the world juniors and say, well, he was, he was just okay, but he's also playing out of position. Adam Fantilli is a center. He's not a winger and he's a big guy. He's not afraid physically. And, and he's going to be a star in the NHL. It's just a matter of time. Like you look at the gaudy numbers that he put up, in college hockey where, you know, and, and college hockey, a lot of people need to remember that in, in, in the NCAA, the players are older and they're getting older now because a lot more players are getting scholarships and going to school in the U.S. at 19 or 20 as opposed to 17 or 18. Like, there's a big difference here. And Adam Fantilli went out and only led the nation in scoring and won the Hobie Baker Trophy. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, that's as legit as it gets. And it's just unfortunate because Connor Bedard was just putting up video game numbers in junior hockey. My, my curiosity would lie with, I wonder how many points Adam Fantilli would have put up in the CHL. Like, that, like in the OHL, how many points would Adam Fantilli have put up? That's where you can kind of gauge and say, okay, yes, he is, he's an incredible consolation prize for the Anaheim Ducks. But I think that Adam Fantilli is going to have a long, very, very productive career. And a lot of it is going to come with the Anaheim Ducks. And like I said, he's going to be able to probably produce right away just because he's going to have Zegris and Terry and McTavish. And you look at the back end where they've got um, Jamie Drysdale and, and veterans like Cam Fowler and Adam Henrique. And, like, it's a much better team in a much better situation than what Connor Bedard is going to. And dare I say, and this is going to rub people the wrong way, and I know it, the Calder Trophy race is going to be a lot closer than people think for that reason alone. It's an interesting point, and yeah, you're right. Chicago is certainly coming from it uh, from behind when it comes to what Anaheim's built, what Columbus has built the last couple of years. I, I think you're, you're not wrong there, Matty. I do think there's going to be uh, a pretty significant gap in the talent around uh, where those first couple picks go, at least for the next couple of years. The Bedard factor might change it and change how Chicago approaches everything, but you're right, the building blocks in Anaheim and, and Columbus certainly ahead of what we've seen from Chicago. Uh, Maddie, always appreciate the time, pal. Thank you again for, for hopping on. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll chat again with you soon, hey? Yeah, I'll try and enjoy the games. Uh, you might have to. You might have to call and put out an APB for me if things go poorly. <laughs> we'll look out for you, buddy. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, pal. See ya, Matt Marchese.
uh, Sportsnet 590 co-host and uh, producer for the Jeff Merrick Show, uh, which you hear every single day here on Sportsnet 960, Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, a little bit of playoffs, a little bit of Bedard chat there. Uh, we'll dive heavily into the Leafs and Panthers game uh, around the corner. Another one of our friends from Sportsnet 590, uh, Brent Gunning, going to join us next. And uh, a little bit on this series, a little bit on how we got here for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but a look at what happens next if tonight does indeed end the Leafs season. Uh, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, joins us around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Doubleheader of playoff action on your televisions tonight and on your radio here on Sportsnet 590 or Sportsnet 6. Let's try this again. Doubleheader of action on your television. For your viewing pleasure. You've got Florida and Toronto. You have Vegas and Edmonton. You can also listen to the games on your radio here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Third time's the charm, buddy. Exactly. Need to do this for a living or anything. Leafs down three nothing. Golden Knights lead their series two games to one. Five o'clock start for Toronto and Florida. Eight o'clock start for the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. I'm Logan Gordon. This is Sportsnet today. Hour one rolling on. We uh, chatted a little bit about the Leafs and the Panthers uh, in our first segment with Matt Marchese, but uh, to dive a little bit more. Uh, into this series, what it might mean for the Leafs to pick up a win tonight, what it might mean if they lose tonight. Uh, we'll uh, very happy to go down the uh, Atlas Peace and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome to our pal from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, uh, and also the host of Leafs pregame. On that station, it is Brent Gunning joining us this afternoon. Brent, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Uh, this all might be over tonight, so yeah, happy for one last <laughs> chat, maybe Logan. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's the mood like uh, right now for uh, for Leafs fans and observers as we head into this? Is it is it all doom and gloom right now? Is there any bit of optimism heading into Game Four? Uh, there is still people out there. I don't know how, but there are still people out there holding out optimism. You know, I've been I've been uh, co-hosting our morning show all week, so we're taking calls, text line, and. I'm shocked at how much optimism there is out there, but yes, the prevailing sentiment is still cornery, angry, disappointed, whatever adjective in and along those lines you want to use for how people are feeling. That's the prevailing sentiment, but there are definitely still some people out there holding out some hope and it's not crazy to do so because that's the reason people are so upset is because however you feel about the Florida Panthers and whatever they've found, there's no doubt who the better team in this series is, or should be at least, and it's the Leafs just based on the roster. So there's reason to believe if you just look at the teams on paper. But, man, if you've watched the first three games, I don't know how. Brent, when you look three games into this series, did the Leafs underestimate the Florida Panthers, or has it just been a case of their top stars not showing up as much as Florida's top stars have? There is a little something to... This team, much like everyone in the fan base, had psyched themselves up to, okay, it's going to be the big bad Bruins. That's who you're going to have to take on. And then I'm sure there was a little bit of a, hold on, we have home ice, hold on. It's the Florida Panthers. They don't even know who their starter is. They had to find one in that first-round series. I'm sure there was a little bit of that going on. But this has always been a problem with the Leafs team is kind of playing down to competition is, you know, the Leafs, 
when they have their low moments during the regular season, it's not failing to show up against a Boston or against a Colorado or Vegas or whatever one of these measuring stick teams you want to use. It's always been against the team that they're supposed to take advantage of. And I think that, you know, based on the everything you've seen from this group in the past, everyone was so happy to get through Tampa, but there was a little bit of this worry lingering that the group would look like, oh, great, we, we did it. We won around. Time to put our feet up. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but, man, it looks like that from time to time. And it just it's very indicative of what we've seen from this Leafs team, not just this season long, but kind of going back to everything we've seen from this Leafs team in this era is when it is a little bit of a lesser than opponent, when you have an excuse to maybe take half a beat, which there shouldn't be in the second round of the playoffs, they do take tend to take it. How were Mitch Marner's comments yesterday uh, received by people around Toronto? Was it a case of, okay, we're happy to see a fiery Mitch Marner, hopefully that extends into game four, or was it a case of, I don't know, Mitch, maybe we shouldn't blame the media, we should look in the mirror a bit more? I think the most charitable people, if I could take the person who doesn't think there's a chance they're going to come back, is convinced this team will come back down 4-3. They are not piling on the stars the way everyone does or has been for the past week, really. Even that person, I think, says, oh, geez, maybe own it a little bit more than that. I could not believe those comments of blaming the media, but that is part of what has always irked people about this core. And look, I have been a guy throughout this run that has been one of the first to say, yeah, they were the better team in a lot of overtimes and didn't get a bounce or they got goalie, but that is not what's happened in this series. So for Matthews, he had some comments about, well, you know, we're just not getting the bounces. It's off the post and out instead of off the post and in. And for Marner to say, you don't care what anybody outside the room thinks. Okay, well, what are the guys inside the room thinks? Are you thrilled? Has anybody lied about what they've seen in this series so far? No, it's been a failure of those guys not to show up. So, yeah, not not received well by uh, by anybody at all, quite, quite honestly. And it's it's been the obviously the biggest thing that has caused a bit of a stink in, in the city right now around this core has been the performance. But this goes back to playoffs past of a failure to to own it. And look, if you just perform well, you don't have to own anything. But when you fail to show up this way, you do need to own it a little more than these guys have. Are you surprised or not how little talk it feels like there's been around Joseph Wall having to come in for game four? I think it just proves it proves everything I've said about the way people are responding to the stars on this team and how many times you've been through this rodeo. The other part of it as well is that I think it does go to show that People who have watched this team closely and followed it all year long or for a couple of years now, Joe Wall's not some kid off the street. This isn't when they had to go to Eric Schalgren in, in years past. This is a guy who is a third-round pick the year Matthews was drafted. The timeline is kind of now for him to be coming into his own. So I think part of it is what the kid has done to prove that, no, you shouldn't be panicked at him having to come in. And But most of it is that, this has nothing to do with goaltending. You could have Ken Dryden pick your guy, Dominic Hasek, whoever your mythical great goalie of all time is. You could put them in, and it's not going to fix the issues that this team has had. So I think most of it is just, again, going back to the stars and putting this on them. 
but a little bit of it as well is that Joe Wall in the little bit you've got to see from him and then the body of work he's put up in the American League this year, it just he's proven that it, it's nothing to be worried about. So definitely an interesting story going to a guy for his first ever start in the playoffs in a absolute must-win game and you had to throw him in there in the last game. It's definitely interesting, but I think that it's it's his play that has led it to be less of a story than you would think it might be, quite honestly. I guess for people out here, Brent, that aren't uh, up to date, is, is Matt Murray able to go in more than a backup capacity, like an emergency sort of third goalie right now? Like, Would he have been a legitimate consideration for perhaps getting the start tonight? Earlier in the playoffs, the emergency third goalie before Murray had been cleared was Eric Schalgren, who has been a guy who's played for this team in the past. He's typically the Marley's goalie when Wall has been called up. So they would not have activated Murray to be the backup or even be the emergency third goalie that, that he had been up until the Samsonov injury. They wouldn't have activated him if he wasn't ready to go. But, I mean, if you... If you think it's crazy to put a kid in there for his first start, what's it like to put somebody who hasn't played a hockey game in nearly two two months in there? So I think it's mostly that. And again, it goes back to Joe Wall. I think that there is a lot going wrong for this team right now. And Joe Wall is one of the few things that you can say, this guy deserves to have faith put in. This guy deserves to have confidence put in him. And I think that going to a guy in Murray, who quite frankly hasn't earned the right to, well, the second he's ready, you got to go back to him. Uh, so yeah, Murray is able physically, but if you, Sheldon Keith was extremely direct in his post game after game three saying had nothing to do with wall. We feel extremely comfortable with him going out of his way to mention that. And then yesterday he was asked if Murray, if Murray was an option and he said, yes, but it wasn't one they really considered. So physically able, but not at all in the cards for, for this team right now, it seems. Uh, the group in front of the goaltender has been an interesting one for the Leafs during this uh, the three game set so far with Florida, and I think it's it's one worth mentioning here because I know we're we're talking so much about the stars, and I know that that that's where this battle is going to be won or lost for the most part, Brent. But when you look at it, you see Mark Giordano down at seven forty seven through three periods in the last game. You've seen Jake McCabe have to be swatted around here in the lineup. What do you make of of having to make these moves if you're Sheldon Keith? Is this simply a guy that's trying to make the best of what he has. Do you look at saying is that Kyle Dubas hasn't given him enough to work with back there, or is it just a coach trying to find any sort of solution for a team that's down three Oh in a series? It's a little bit of, it's a little bit of all three there. I actually think the biggest reason the D pairs have had to be shuffled around the way they have been is uh, another old friend of yours, not Mark Giordano, but TJ Brody. He has just not been the same guy he's been, quite honestly, throughout the entire life of this contract for the last three weeks, a month maybe. He just, he's just he been flubbing passes. He hasn't looked like the confident Chris player. You're used to him being back there, and I think that's what's caused Jake McCabe to look a little out of sorts. If you have those two being the pair they should be able to be, then I think everything has actually fit in pretty nicely. Morgan Riley and Luke Shen have... I mean, Morgan Riley, we knew was capable of this. Luke Shen, it was always a little up in the air what he was able to do. That pair has played above what anybody's expected of them. And it's just, it really is Brody kind of taking a nosedive. I don't know if it's an injury. I don't know if age is catching up to him. But he has just not been the same player. Quite frankly, he looks hurt. It's just, it's gone two night and day for him kind of quickly overnight in the last month. So really Brody being out of sorts is what's caused everything there. And Jake McCabe is a guy who... 
he can be a really nice complimentary piece. Uh, you know, a number four D, if you will, or a number three, if you had a really rock solid first pair, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to prop up uh, a pair. You know, that's why him and Brody made sense because he could do a lot of the more kind of physical stuff and Brody could effectively take care of everything else, make sure everything was safe. But with you not seeing that from him, uh, that that's what's caused things out of sorts for me. And then Giordano just seems to have hit a wall. You know, everybody all season long was wondering, could he not get a rest? They have so many healthy defensemen, and he was adamant about not wanting to come out of the lineup. He eventually did later in the season, but you have to wonder if, you know, giving him the odd night off in November, December, January could have potentially gotten them a, a better version of Mark Giordano because he really seems to have hit a wall late late in the season. So it's a, it's a little bit of all of those things, but I honestly think the biggest factor, probably T.J. Brody. Uh, does it change anything if this series gets to, to four or five, five or six games in your mind? Like I know the sweep kind of comes with that pretty negative connotation that you only lasted four games in the second round, but for this Leafs team and given everything that we've talked about and them finally getting around that that first round hurdle, Brent, at this point, does unless they stretch this thing to seven somehow, does it really matter if it's done in four, five, or six? I don't, I'll be honest, Logan, I don't know that pushing it to seven does. Uh, and maybe okay. this is just me in the heat of the moment feeling that way, but the, the biggest knock on this group, and it actually was something they hadn't done too much this season up until the playoffs was they have a big time propensity to sit around for 50 minutes. And then with 10 minutes left in the third go, you know what? It's a two goal game. Let's go steal it. Let's go push it into OT. Let's go find a way to win. And it would just look like doing that with your entire season, falling behind 3-0. William Nylander, God love him. He is the poster boy for this, having a terrible two periods and then looking like the greatest player you've ever seen for the third. And it would just be so – it would almost prove what everyone has been saying, that this group is just sitting around waiting to turn it on when their back is absolutely against the wall. So I'm sure for some people it would help save face. Uh, you know, a a big couple games from Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, it could go the, a, a long way for changing the narrative in the moment for some people. But honestly, I think outside of a true uh, doing the unthinkable and coming back all the way, not to force a game seven, but to win a game seven, I really do think the die has been cast on on this season. And, and it's just I because it is so indicative of the problems of what you think about this group. So, yeah, I don't I don't know that even even a, you know, a seven nothing win tonight and a six nothing one at home and in game five and a hard fought game six win. I really don't know. Maybe it'll feel different after the fact, but it, unless you're able to eventually do it, we're just going to go back to that game three and what an embarrassment it was and how you effectively threw away the series. Uh, Brent Gunning along with us, Sportsnet 590, the fan host of Leafs pregame. And uh, Brent, as usual, when you get into these 3 nothing scenarios, it's impossible to not start to look at what might come next with an offseason looming for this group. And the first name that comes to mind for a lot of people when you talk about this Leafs group is Kyle Dubas and, and his future with the team. How do you see this playing out for Kyle Dubas and, and knowing that you know, we've had NHL insiders here. We've had Frank Saravelli and Elliot Friedman on with us here in Calgary saying, look, if he's not back in Toronto, he's going to be wanted somewhere else. But at the same point, it feels like he's done almost everything he can do with this group. What does the future look like in your mind for Kyle Dubas if this series really does come to an end, whether it be in game four or game five of this series? 
I've been of the belief that of the, the three kind of power brokers in Toronto, Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, and, and Sheldon Keefe, that Keefe is the only guy who's ultimately going to pay a, a price for this. Uh, Shanahan, you know, he's set it up in the way a lot of teams have now with the president of hockey operations versus general manager and all of that. Uh, he's pretty insulated there. Kyle Dubas, even his harshest critics, and boy, are there a lot of them in this fan base even, they cannot find a bad thing to say about what he did this year. All the problems and the criticism that he is taking right now stem from, well, you shouldn't have made this course so entitled by giving And I don't necessarily buy into all of that, but that's the criticism he's taking right now. It's not a Ryan O'Reilly trade that's paid dividends. It's not an Olachari trade. It's not the all the other moves he did tinkering in the offseason and at the deadline. So I think he is safe, and I honestly think it'll come down to whether or not he wants to be back. I still don't think there's a situation out there in the NHL that is going to be as appealing for him as finishing what he started. And it's not just finishing what he started. It's doing it in, I'm sorry, everybody, but the mecca of hockey for the most important hockey team and doing it with the stars that he hitched his wagon to. So I can't see a world where where he wants to go anywhere, and I don't see a world where the Leafs are – better served with a different GM. As far as coach goes, I think you just have to make a change. And I have been the least critical of Sheldon Keefe, of everybody who covers this team. I want to be a 1,000% clear. It is not his fault. But you have to change something. You cannot do a complete nuclear blow-up, much like the Flames did last year. There were very particular circumstances that led to that. So I think you have to try something, and it's easiest to do that with a new coach. And given everything Dubas did and how well he's regarded across the league and how quickly he would be snapped up, I mean, for people in Toronto, the absolute nightmare scenario is that you get some sexy new ownership group in Ottawa, they get a new building, he does the tweaks to that young core and does everything that he was supposed to have done here. So I just... I think the most the, the scenario here makes the most sense for him, and I think Dubas makes the most sense for the Leafs, but I really could see a, a coaching change coming, even though, it's, I want to be clear, it is not Sheldon Keith's fault, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on the, the Keith thing for sure. I, I, there's only so much you can you can ask. And again, the, the coach never plays, and that's you know hard to to produce when you've got Marner and Matthews. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something, Logan. <laughs> Sheldon Keith looks like he cares out there, and I want. Yeah. I'm not saying Matthews and Marner look like they or don't, but they look like they don't at times. And you never get that from Sheldon Keith. So yeah, you're right. You yeah. can't play. Uh, last one for you, and uh, this is you know obviously a, a very big question, and it's still to be determined, but. If this ends tonight, Brent, especially with a sweep, does the conversation not only about Keefe and Dubas have to extend to those those big four at forward and moving one of them out in your mind? Does that need to change? Does a Nylander or a Tavares or, or even a Marner need to find a different home for this Leafs team to go into next season? I it's it's such a tough question because I would love to sit here and say, yeah, there has to be a bloodletting. You have to change things up. You have to show that there are real consequences. And it's not losing your buddy Tyson Berry. It's an actual real consequence. It's losing your buddy Mitch Marner or William Nylander. But William Nylander, with the value he makes, he's due for an extension. That's a really hard trade to make because somebody's going to want to get a deal on the extension. If he's getting traded there, why would he want to give that team a deal or you know something close to that? I don't see him getting moved. Austin Matthews, for all the faults you can find personality-wise, or maybe that he's not as fiery as you would like, or you like him to be more physical, he is still the most gifted goal scorer. Well, okay, Connor McDavid changed our minds on that. The second most <laughs> gifted goal scorer in the NHL. 
He's going to get locked up. He's going to get given the world. John Tavares isn't going anywhere. The only guy that makes sense because it would be such a big change is Marner. But I continue to just come back to how do you win a Mitch Marner trade? Forget winning it. It feels borderline impossible not to lose it in a big way. Because for everything I'm saying about him now, there isn't a person who watches this team that thinks he's going to, you know, you trade him to Columbus and he's not going to go have 37 points in a Conn Smythe run for them one day because he has the talent to do it. So that's the scariest part about it is Marner is the guy who makes the most sense, but that trade feels impossible. Not Again, not to win, but just it feels impossible not to lose by a landslide. Brent, really appreciate the time as always. Thanks for hopping on with us. I'd say uh, enjoy the game tonight, but I, I guess just get through the game tonight if you can. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens on oh, the other is, side, pal. This is easy. Tonight is pressure free. <laughs> game two, game three, that was an emotional car wreck. Tonight, this is easy. Yeah, no kidding. Take care, Matty. Pre- uh, Brent, sorry, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for the time again. Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan, uh, host of Leafs pregame, joins us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar. Uh, guest hotline and yeah, pretty good uh, indication of where things are at for the Toronto Maple Leafs heading into tonight's matchup with the uh, Florida Panthers. Uh, a sweep on the table. It could be our first elimination game of round number two. Uh, five o'clock puck drop. The Leafs going with uh, a couple of different changes on the back end. Uh, the biggest of all will be Joseph Wall getting the start in net for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Ilya Samsonov not healthy enough to go, so Matt Murray will back him up and of course it will be Sergey Bobrovsky going on the other side for the Florida Panthers. Watch it on Sportsnet or listen to it right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan will take a break, come back on the other side, dive into the Flames talk as the GM search continues uh, for the Calgary Flames, uh, sending a deadline for themselves, according to Don Maloney, or at least the timeline that they'd like to see a GM in. So uh, who's on the list? Where are we looking at as the GM search continues for the Calgary Flames? We'll get into that next on Sportsnet 960. The fan.